is Hooch Draft. And so you listen to Hayden and I all the time with these long shows. And instead, each week, every Wednesday, we're going to bring in a guest for them to outline the five players they can't stop drafting. In other words, the five must-have players that they are targeting in every single draft. And today, it's one of our friends, one of our favorites. It's Jared Smola of Draft Sharks, who has been deep, deep in these best ball streets and drafts this summer. Jared, I'm sure you have a number, dozens, maybe hundreds under your belt. And I can't wait to hear the five <laughs> players you are really eyeing in every single lobby you enter. It's not, it's, it's not in the hundreds. I'll be honest. I have a, it's I have early. A, I, have a, I have a two year, I have a two year old. So, you know, that, that cuts into the drafting a little bit, but it's, it's in the double digits. If it digits. wasn't for the two year old, you might have reached a hundred. I might. Yeah, that's true. This time. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into it. We're going to go by ADP. And these are five names that I think are very unique to you. And I'm excited to do this throughout the summer as well and see if this changes as we go on. Okay. The first name is who, Jared? My first name is Ramondre Stevenson. I, mean, I, I love getting Stevenson in round three, like getting a top three or four pick, getting an elite receiver, going another receiver in round two or a running back, and then getting Stevenson in, in round three. That's, that's my preferred start to a draft right now. Um, I guess drafters are kind of scared off by Bill Belichick's history of committee backfields, which has been the case like recently. But even over the last 11 seasons, we've had New England running backs have seasons of 296, 306, and 259 touches. And Stevenson just had 279 touches last season. Um, I think everyone knows how good he was as a pass catcher last year, third among all running backs and targets, fourth in catches, seventh in receiving yards. He was also super efficient as a runner, five yards per carry, um, 11th in rush yards over expected per attempt among 48 running backs with 90 plus carries last year, also 11th among those 48 in yards after contact per attempt. So like, I, I think this guy's a, a three down back and he showed that last year. And I think the Patriots are ready to let him be that. They let Damian Harris walk this offseason. Harris, by the way, he signed a one-year, $1.8 million deal with the Bills. The Patriots could have had him back if they wanted him. Um, so they let him go. They bring in James Robinson on a contract with literally no guaranteed money. They return these two day three guys from, from you know, to, uh, in the 2020 draft, Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, who, you know, again, day three picks, did barely anything last year. So it, it just seems to me that the Patriots are ready to give Stevenson this three-down role, and I think he's, he's going to be super productive with it. He has the size profile. He's got the receiving profile. He's got the goal line opportunities all lined up right for him. And like you said, the Patriots have used some big time uh, touch players uh, in this backfield before, and there's no competition. And to me, the, the answer to this is basically, do you want to fade Matt Patricia? If the answer is yes, then draft some Ramondre Stevenson. I think that everybody wants to get away from Matt Patricia. So this is a bet on Bill O'Brien. I just think this it's a great spot where he's going in drafts. Like to me, these like Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle types, T Higgins types. I like them in fantasy. I don't like them as much in round two or three, like the early part of round three. I would much rather go with these three down bell cow types. Ramondre Stevenson, if the Patriots can be a league average offense this year, which they were with Mac Jones in, in his first year. I think Ramondre Stevenson can be a top three fantasy running back this year. Yeah, and it's not just those wide receivers that you talked about in Devante and in T Higgins. And this is just ahead of DK Metcalf at, that round two, three area, he's going kind of at the end of that running back tier of Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall, and Ramondre. I love drafting all of them, but I'm, I'm with you, Jared, where like in some cases I would just prefer Ramondre Stevenson. Like this is yeah. a player when I step back and think about him, I almost feel like the lens where he's viewed is incorrect. 
like because of his size, I think people believe he's almost a bruiser when in fact he's almost like this elegant runner and big play artist. I mean, he was sixth most in carries of 15 plus yards last season. Like you said, his receiving skills are not out of this world, but they are like in that next tier behind like the truly elite players mm-hmm. in this class. And I think the only question we might have about Ramondre Stevenson is if he finally does have that goal line role and goal line work, because when it was he and Damian Harris, obviously Harris was the one when both were healthy owned that. I mean, he had nine touchdowns back in what 2021 as a fancy darling on just 15 carries last year. Ramondre Stevenson just had seven carries inside the five, but I'm sure that you guys are going to point out that wasn't because of their lack of trust in him per se. It was just because the offense stunk so much that they rarely got opportunities inside the five yard line. We just think like the offense as a whole, is going to be much better this year. For sure. Yeah. Um, One more note on Stevenson's like potential role. So in seven games last year with Stevenson healthy and Damian Harris, either out or leaving early, Stevenson averaged 17.5 expected half PPR points per game. That would have led all running backs. Eckler, Eckler led last year with 17.3. So I'm not, I'm not saying Stevenson's going to lead in expected points, but it's, it's possible. If he plays the role he did last year with Harris out, you know, he, he, I think as Hayden said, he, he could be a top three running back this year. And that's what that, that offense stunk and he still was able to do that. So, and like the skill guys, they're not going to like all of a sudden pass way more because they brought in like a true number one wide receiver. Like they still have the same problem. So it's just like, could the offensive line be healthier? Can Mac Jones play healthier? Or the, is the play calling going to be a little bit better? And I think the answer, like our assumption should be yes, like without question. It's, and there's a chance that it gets way better too. Yeah. Jared, I want to get your view on this because Hayden and I actually haven't talked about it at all. It's pretty clear there's like this rookie year doghouse scenario for like any running back in a Bill Belichick uh, yeah. roster, let's say. And Ramondre went through that during his rookie year and then <laughs> eclipsed it last season. Um, this past year, it was Pierre Strong. It was Kevin Harris. You talked about bringing James Robinson. I think people now realize that despite the up to language when he was signed, there's like no lock for him to be on the roster at all. Mm-hmm. Um do you think that one of those guys can take a Ramondre-esque step and like have a chunk in this backfield? Because at least again, from my seat, Ramondre is so clear in terms of talent and versatile skill set versus those guys that are kind of narrow skill set role players. Yeah, I mean, someone else is going to get work in this backfield, right? Like again, I'm not projecting a Saquon Barkley type role for Stevenson. Like someone else is going to get some work. I think Pierre Strong is a good candidate. I think he's that you know bigger play guy that they probably are looking for at this point. But again, I you know date. I, I didn't love Pierre Strong or Kevin Harris coming out again. They were Same. day three picks. Um, I, I don't expect either of them or James Robinson to like significantly cut into uh, Stevenson's workload. Bill O'Brien coming from Alabama, totally different body types. But maybe we get some you know Jameer Gibbs esque usage for Ramondre Stevenson here too. Yeah, I think it's possible. I, I think that Ramondre is going to get anything that he can handle. And then I think that Pierre Strong is going to be the change of pace back. And I think that's a good kind of one-two punch where Ramondre can kind of do a little bit of everything at a decent level. And then Pierre Strong, more outside zone, just get him one cut running and maybe play a little, like a little bit of the the two-minute drill situations. But Ramondre can handle all that stuff. So it's, it's giddy up. Who's next, Jared? Justin Herbert's my next guy. I'm definitely in on like wanting one of these elite quarterbacks, especially in these best ball tournaments, right? Like for one, they're, they are safer bats relative to the running backs and wide receivers they go around. But I think more importantly, they give you that 25, 30 point upside that you probably are going to need, you know, to win one of these underdog tournaments. So 
Herbert is my favorite um, relative value among these elite quarterbacks at current ADP. He is quarterback seven in the current underdog ADP going in the middle of round five. I like that price tag on him. Herbert, he, he sunk from quarterback three in fantasy points in 2021 to quarterback eight last year. He actually scored uh, 6.2 fewer fantasy points per game. What happened? Mike Williams and Keenan Allen missed 11 combined games. Herbert did throw for uh, 20 fewer yards per game in 2022 versus 2021. The big thing, though, 13 fewer passing touchdowns for Justin Herbert last season. His touchdown rate sunk from 5.7% in 2021 to 3.6% last year. 3.6% ranked 21st among 33 qualifiers. The league average is around 4.5%. So I don't know about you guys, but I will bet on Justin Herbert's touchdown rate rebounding, not only to league average, but above league average, which, which it was in his first two seasons. Um, I think, you know, we should get better health from those top two wide receivers. They add Quentin Johnston, you know, a nice third wide receiver insurance on those top two guys. And then of course the offensive coordinator change, I think we're all excited about with, with Colin Moore coming in. I think that's going to be a big boost for the offense. Yeah. I think the offense will just be more functional. I think there'll be more downfield opportunities and that's playing to Justin Herbert's strength. He has an absolute cannon out there. And the other name is Rayshon Slater, their left tackle. He would missed almost the entire season. He's an absolute stud when he's out there too. So there's a lot of pieces coming back and it was just basically touchdown regression. And that season where you were talking about 5.7%, that's really good. That's not like outlier level. Like he that can just be his career baseline. And all of a sudden we're, we're all the way up there. I was looking back and I'm doing some studies on spike weeks because it's so important for the best ball format. And in 2021, Justin Herbert had four games where he had a true spike week. Uh, that was only behind Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And then last year, he didn't have a single one. So if we can get back to where he was in 2021, which I think is like totally fine. That's not outrageous to say, especially with all these weapons. I really like him. He's not in the third round like some of these other elite quarterbacks, but I still think that he offers not the exact potential as them, but a tier below that. I don't see that he can't have a, a Joe Burrow type of season this year. I was trying to keep my reactions uh, subdued, let's put it that way, but just watching some of those all 22 highlights on the YouTube channel, I mean, he just kind of plays the game differently than a lot of other people yeah. in terms of just the arm and his ability to make certain throws and just then attaching that to an average depth of throw of 6.9 yards, which is the lowest of his career, is criminal. I understand like situations like you put with wide receivers, like you put with the left tackle and yeah. other offensive linemen too, Hayden, like that does change things, but it's pretty clear like – I appreciate it when teams self-evaluate and say, hey, we have this phenom at quarterback. Let's put him in like the right situation to succeed and maximize mm -hmm. his talents. And if we do get that, then like, again, he played well last year and that still finishes like the quarterback 18 in points per game. And so yeah. just imagine when it's a better situation and he plays to the exact same caliber, a top five quarterback does make sense now. And in a weird way, Jared, he's kind of being drafted in isolation among these quarterbacks, like just ahead of him, it's Joe Burrow with an ADP of 40. Again, Justin Herbert's at 52 overall and quarterback seven. And then after that, it's quarterback eight, Trevor Lawrence at 61 overall. Yeah. So he's like there if you want him. Who are you For stacking sure. him with? Because Mike Williams and Keenan Allen both are fourth round picks. Yeah. Uh, you can either find a falling Mike Williams and stack him up there. Do you prefer Keenan Allen straight up over Mike Williams? They kind of go back and forth on like a year to year, week to week basis. 
Yeah, Keenan Allen almost made my list for this show, but I didn't mm. want to have two Chargers. Mm. Uh, I just think what what he did over because you know, the first half of the season was wiped out by the injury. But if you look at the second half of the season, the target share and the production was was awesome. Um, I do think it's you know in the half PPR and underdog, it's closer between Allen and Mike Williams, and I think Williams probably gives you. I don't know. You could probably tell me, Hayden, does Williams give us you know higher spike week potential? It feels that way. Um, it does feel that yeah, way. I, I will say that Keenan Allen like gets to 20 points like pretty frequently. Like, is he going to have yeah. like a 38 point game? Maybe not. Um, but I, I think either one could run really hot with touchdowns. I think that Keenan Allen gets used, you know, like with this like quote unquote slot receiver. So I think both of them have upside. Yeah. The, the last note I had on Herbert too. Remember he had that rib injury. Yes. Um, pretty early last season. It, it probably affected his passing. I think it definitely affected mm-hmm. his rushing production. You look at his rushing stats last year compared to his first two seasons. He was giving us like 250 rushing yards and a handful of touchdowns his first two years. That was all way down last year. I think that was at least partly due to that injury. I mean, just subbing out DeAndre Carter for Quentin Johnson too. Like, <laughs> look, I don't think Johnson was a perfect prospect at all, but Jared, he's almost one of those where post-draft, when he finds his situation, um, I don't want to just rely on like a pure individual scouting report on him anymore. Yep. And I want to think about the environment that he's in. And now with both those veteran wide receivers attached to him, uh, if they just ask him to do what he is good at, that is beautiful. And that can only help this offense. It can't hurt it. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, Johnson was interesting because I thought he needed to land with a smart offensive coordinator. Cause to me, he's a big wide receiver that almost plays like a small wide receiver. Like to me, after the catch is his best, you know, his best asset, you know, Kellen Moore is at the top of the list for me of like smart OCs. And I think we'll, we'll use him the right way. Cool. All right. Two down. Who's number three, Tyler Lockett. I mean, this one's easy to me. Here are Lockett's finishes in half PPR points per game the last five seasons. 23rd, 24th, 12th, 17th, and 16th. He is currently wide receiver 33 in underdog ADP. I get that they added Jackson Smith and Jigba, and that does you know that does hurt Lockett a bit. He did move down our rankings a bit after Jackson Smith and Jigba landed with Seattle. He's still wide receiver 20 in our half PPR rankings. I think he's a, a massive value at wide receiver 33, by the way, and you know, Lockett turns 31 in September. So maybe folks are worried about him. I'm tailing off Lockett last year, beat DK Metcalf in catch rate yards per catch yards per target and yards per route run. Like he, he's still an awesome wide receiver. I'm not worried about him tailing off just yet. Do you rank him straight up over JSN? Cause we, we heard some close yes. comments and it, to me, the JSN landing spot's good for Geno Smith. Certainly, it's good, good actual scheme fit, team fit, all that stuff. But it does seem like Pete Carroll is going to have Tyler Lockett in two yeah. wide receiver sets as well. So I think it is certainly possible that Tyler Lockett still holds on to this number two role and he protects himself. Like it wouldn't be surprising if he has a, a longer <laughs> shelf life just because he literally just like falls down after. Yeah. After the I love match. that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I I have Lockett clearly ahead of JSN right now. Uh-huh. And that, that could change. That could change that summer based on what we hear. But right now, straight up, I prefer Lockett. Shout out to Weaves for putting these cut-ups together. Um, I mean, just going through them, Tyler Lockett is just a double-move king. Yep. You know, I mean, just the way he manipulates defensive backs and creates that separation. And then on these, you know, deep play action crossing routes, he's often the over route that then everything is cleared out for. And boom, he catches it. And in fact, and it's not that binary where routes end up, right? But 
just going back and looking at one where JSN was so successful at Ohio State, Pete Carroll are coming out and saying he's most likely going to be the slot player. We're going to move the other two guys around. So much of that is going to end up in the middle of the field, right? Well, then I went back and looked at where DK's routes or catches were, and he had way more of a higher percentage in the middle of the field versus Tyler Lockett. So like while the size thing, I think people are taking and subtracting more away from Lockett than DK Metcalf, it wouldn't shock me at all if maybe DK's production is the one that gets chipped into a bit more than Tyler Lockett's. I'm totally with you. Like I, I think JSN impacts them at least similarly, but I right. feel like the, what ADP has done is Lockett or Metcalf has barely moved at all. And Lockett has you know sunk, sunk way, way too far down these drafts. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. I'm looking at their wide receiver usage as a team last year and the Seahawks combined were at 28.2 expected half PPR points to their wide receivers. Obviously, a large chunk of that was to Metcalf and Lockett. That was about middle of the pack. So we're going to need one of them's one of these ADPs is not aligning or Geno Smith is the MVP. So I think it could be <laughs> where uh, maybe DK Metcalf is five spots too high. JSN's five spots too high. Then Tyler Lockett's ADP is actually some But you are right. Like since the JSN pick, only one of them has gone down, and that's been Tyra Lock, which I understand because of the age concerns. Um, but this is an offense I definitely want some p- uh, pieces of because Geno Smith's price tag on underdog has remained very cheap, and I really like that. I guess my question to that, Hayden, is we still like all three of these players. They're awesome. <laughs> and so if it's kind of difficult to pick which one is not going to live up to ADP, is it just right process to take the one that is going latest and Tyra Lockett? It's possible. I think it's going to be kind of like how the 49ers have been with Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk, where they're all good players. We know they're good players. When one of them leaves the offense, then all of a sudden the other two really pop off, and then we can kind of just play this game of touchdown spikes where Debo Samuel went crazy in 2021, and then last year it was George Kittle. Like Before the season, did we know which one was going to be the one that catched 10, 10 touchdown passes? I don't know, but one of these guys is going to catch 10, one of them is going to catch four, and you can't tell me which one that's going to be right now. Yeah, one other question, just theorizing how this team is going to look on Sundays. Obviously, the Seahawks have like a ton of tight ends on their roster, too. Um, And just with the, uh, let's say, veteran presence that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and and the chips they have in the bank um, on this team, 
if they do go out there in two wide receiver sets, I would expect it to be those two, you know, yes. but we have seen like a Shane Waldron Rams offense, you know, have 11 personnel out there 90% of the yep. time. So that could work as well, but I would expect them to use more, you know, 12 personnel usage than that. And if that's the case, it's going to be DK and going to be Tyler Lockett or else I'll be shocked. Yeah, me too. And then, yeah, that's one of the reasons I prefer Lockett to JSN at this point. I'm, I'm praying though, this is one of the you know heaviest 11 personnel teams in the leagues. I do not want to see Will Disley out there over, you know, JSN <laughs> on passing plays. There are plenty of underdog drafts employees only um, that I have exited right now with JSN, Tyra Lockett and Gina Smith on the roster. Cause that's a uh, pretty easy to do for an offense that was yeah. so high powered for like three quarters of the season. All right. Fourth name. Uh, this one shocked me, Jared. Cam Akers. I'm a little shocked that you're shocked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Akers is RB 24 in underdog ADP. I have met RB 16 right now. Um, I, I guess let's like go over Akers' career so far. I mean, 52nd overall pick of the 2020 NFL draft. Got off to a slow start as a rookie, but Akers averaged 22 carries for and 94 rushing yards per game over the final six games of his rookie season. Um, and then, of course, had the Achilles tear in July of 2021, made it surprisingly made it back for the end of the 2021 season, was super inefficient uh, at the end of that season, not surprisingly after the Achilles injury, and was also inefficient over the first half of last season, which, again, to me, was not a surprise because Achilles injuries are tough, especially for running backs. But from week 11 on last year, Cam Akers averaged 4.8 yards per carry. He was fourth in pro football focuses, rushing grades. He was seventh in PFF's elusive rating and he averaged 17.3 carries over his final five games. Like they went back to him as a workhorse back and Sean McVay really throughout his coaching career has preferred a workhorse back. Like for the most part, that's been Todd Gurley, but again, like Cam Akers in spurts has gotten workhorse usage. Even like Daryl Henderson has had games where he's gotten, you know, 15 plus carries, you know, 20 plus total touches. Um, and then you look at the competition for Cam Akers. They returned Kyron Williams and they spent, what was it, like a sixth round pick on Zach Evans. So I just think it, it's set up for Akers to, to get really strong volume. And there, there is some bounce back potential to this Rams offense, right? Like they get better health on the O-line and obviously from, from Stafford and Cup. Like I think this offense, I don't think it's going to be what it was a couple years ago, but I think, I think it's going to be better than what we saw for, for most of last year. Yeah, we've seen McVay have top five fantasy usage at the position. Last year, the Rams were dead last and expected half PPR points to their running backs combined per game. That's because the offensive line was an absolute train wreck. This should be much better. They've invested in that spot with their draft picks up top. And then I think Kyron Williams is going to mix in on some passing downs. I think that they do like him. But Cam Akers had a bell cow profile kind of going into this. I'm not expecting him to be. But he is one of these guys who's attached to an offense who could bounce back and be a top 10-ish offense. The defense is going to be bad. I'm not sure if the team's going to be any good. But I think this team has played really fast before. And I can see that exact same thing happening to Cam Akers. So he's very volatile. I can see this thing where like all of a sudden Zach Evans is in there in the fantasy playoffs. But at the same time, Cam Akers is like, what, the running back 24 right now? And I think that's a decent price tag because I do think that there are paths to him getting into that top 12 conversation just based off of the offense of upside. And then I think that Cam Akers, at least down the stretch last year, looked pretty good. So big contract year for him as well. I guess what I'm nervous about, Jared, is there were no whispers out of Rams camp ahead of that week one game in the Buffalo Bills. And then basically what we could have taken out of it was Cam Akers was third on the depth chart. And I just, that uncertainty, it's, 
always scaring me when K makers is on the board because I could, uh, as what Hayden said, like easily see a week to week change or like just total unknown of how Sean McVay is going to utilize his backfield, like throw my hands in the air, have no clue. Cause it took him what until mm -hmm. week 13 to play over 50% of the snaps last season. Yeah. And the other aspect to it is we do like with Ramondre, we talked about big plays. Um, he had just seven carries of 15 plus yards on 188 attempts last year. And maybe that's, you know, coming back from the Achilles, but it, I'm just a little nervous. He doesn't like have that much juice anymore, mm -hmm. but some of it also surely was about the run blocking as well. So it's, it's just one of those scenarios yeah. that I have like so many questions and I'm not totally sure what like the, the massive upside cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, Mc, the McVeigh point is fair. Like there was a point in the middle of last season where it looked like cam Akers was done with the rams remember? For sure. so like i don't know exactly what happened there um but again to me the, the inefficiency late in 2021 and, and early this season this past season was the, the achilles like that's an injury that takes 18 months to to get back from usually best case if guys even get back from it so you know I, heading into last year i was like you know is acres ever going to be a thing again right because of that achilles injury but what he showed down the stretch and I get it's a small sample. It was like six or seven games, but the usage was there. The production was there. The efficiency, the underlying stuff was all there. So to me, if he's back to the guy he was when he was a second round pick coming out, I just think he's clearly the best talent in that backfield. He was literally the running back one on the week in week 16, like literally the running back one. So, and I think that that should matter most. There was a lot of skepticism, like Josh was pointing out early, but the last thing we did see was him going to work. But at the same time, what we did see at the end of their Super Bowl winning season was Cam Akers rushed back from his Achilles injury and forced into a bell cow role, like dominating that backfield. And then over the summer, we did hear through Jordan Rodriguez's columns that, hey, they do want to split the backfield up as soon as training camp started. So yeah. I'm almost waiting for that shoe to drop a little bit to like know exactly how to see this backfield. So like I'll mm -hmm. be on the athletic with J-Rod's stuff you know yeah i just i i just think wouldn't they have added more to the backfield if they didn't want to lean on cam Akers? well but they didn't add anything to the backfield the previous i know daryl henderson always gets hurt towards the end of the year and all that stuff all right. so, and they and they did like i know they did last year in kyron williams and that was a super late pick as well and he's like a super role player but he was going to play ahead of cam Akers. yeah Jared, it's so you, weird it is so weird what you don't know about josh is he's secretly a massive kyron williams no, fan i've seen the really? slack messages that's that's no. what's driving this is the guy he loves four uh, uh running back like <laughs> yeah. around, uh, 40 in 4.8 seconds <laughs> yeah sean mcveigh loved kyron williams ahead of last year that's what it is it, he has like a weird uh on again off again mm -hmm. relationship with k makers is what we're outlining here for it sure really does for sure yeah. all right last one and uh we're on board with you on this one david and joku and I, I really could have gone with the entire Browns passing game here. Yes. I'm all in on Cleveland's passing game. I, and listen, I don't know if you guys even mention uh, the Browns quarterback name. Do you have a thing where you or not it's supposed to say his name? <laughs> I think their adapted quarterback is going to bounce back back big. Maybe maybe unfortunately, depending on how you feel about him. I just, he he was an elite passer before the suspension, and I I wasn't surprised he struggled. Actually, I mean he. Hadn't played football for what was it, like a year and a half, two years. He, he's you know joining a brand new offense, you know coming in mid season to you know start the final whatever number of games it was. I wasn't surprised he struggled. I think with a full off season 
in this Stefanski offense with these weapons. I, I think he's going to bounce back big. Um, and if that happens, I want a lot of pieces of this passing game. And then Joku is my favorite value in Cleveland right now. Um, you know, he, he missed three games and most of a fourth last year with injuries in his 13 healthy games. He saw 18.4% target share. That's a really strong number for a tight end. He scored as the tight end eight and half PPR points per game. And again, that was on a Browns offense. That was, you know, Jacoby Brissett in the first half of the year, a struggling Watson over the second half of the year, the Browns finished 22nd in passing yards last year. I think they couldn't, you know, jump into the top 10 this season. So just give Njoku the same role on a much more productive Browns offense. And I think you're, you're talking about a guy who, you know, could finish as a top five tight end. He's one of those players where it doesn't sound like a, an impressive threshold, but he had at least six targets in most of his games. And especially if, the, if you remove some of the games where he was battling and like six targets. And this was on an offense that was definitely more balanced than what we're expecting it to be this year. The other thing with David Njoku is he's just really good. Like <sighs> the guy is just moving differently than most of the tight ends you're drafting. And his ADP is uh, definitely a tier two spots below like the Darren Wallers, the Dallas Goddard types. And I don't think that those guys are necessarily that much better than David Njoku is himself and i like stacking my tight ends with my quarterbacks so i like drafting my quarterbacks first then followed up with the tight ends and just hope that the touchdowns go his way and i wouldn't be surprised if the touchdown started going david and joku's way he's just a total grown ass man yeah i just want to highlight these two plays here because they're both against the patriots and the first one is against a much smaller slot corner and he just routes them up you know, he has the outside leverage. He takes it, but he sustains that separation. And then after the catch and this next play, he is the isolated wide receiver on the backside. How many other tight ends across the league, especially at his value that you're getting him right now at tight end nine, 104 overall are able to do this. And he just routes up the safety with a double move and look at all that separation mm -hmm. down the field. Just going back and watching David and Joku, he is a three level route runner in ways that other tight ends are not on shorter passes on screens. He can win after the catch on that short to intermediate area. He just finds soft spots, just sits there, doesn't move and then can pick up three or four yards to pick up the first down. And then he is unlike many others where he can really get vertical. And if he had played all season long, maybe with Jacoby Brissett or with a better Deshaun Watson, like I just don't see how at a position where so often yep. we chase just maximum upside and maximum athleticism, he would be going in the spot, but here we are. And it just seems like a gift to me. Like it does to you, Jared. He's not, he's not even 27 years old yet either. He had, I think he was 21 when he got drafted. He might've even been 20 when he got drafted. So I, I think he could still be ascending. Um, the last note on Joku and Joku, the Browns gave him that four year, $55 yep. million deal last off season. So they invested in him. I think he's, you know, safe bet to be a big part of this passing game. Almost all of the tight ends being drafted ahead of him happen to also be 30, 31, 34 years old, too. So if those guys start falling off a cliff, all of a sudden you have some gold here. And we just finished up our tight end tier list yesterday. Hopefully everyone checked that out in the channel. But I mean, Njoku was responsible for 28.6% of the Browns red zone targets last year. That was the highest among all tight ends. Even higher than Travis Kelsey. Like, yep. Just throw more in the red zone. And David Joku is like a go-to player for them. I Hayden knows this in our employee dress. I am drafting way too much of the redacted <laughs> quarterback, Elijah Moore and David Njoku right now. And I can't stop. I can't stop the prices. Me too. All right, Jared. This has been wonderful. Um, thank you for being the first guest of this offseason, hot, hot best ball summer, uh, to give us your five must-haves. Everyone out there knows you can find Jared on some great content over at Draft Sharks. 
And then quickly tell the people what this draft war room is about. It's a tool that people can utilize with their underdog drafts as well. Yeah, so what the draft war room will do is it syncs right up to underdog. So you click a button, it pulls in under all of underdog scoring rules and everything, and it, and it takes those rules, it applies them to our projections, and it's going to spit out custom rankings for the underdog rules, the, the scoring system and the lineup requirements. Um, and then, you know, throughout your draft, it's synced up to the underdog draft war room. So when a guy gets picked, that guy automatically comes off your rankings. Um, player values will adjust throughout the draft based on your team needs and what's available and ADP. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. And then we also have a, a, an extension that'll put a sidebar right on the underdog draft room if you're, if you're drafting on a computer. Um, so you can see the top like five or six players available based on the rankings that are still you know there to, there to take in your underdog draft. That's super key because you want to like, I like drafting off of ADP. I have my own ranking stuff. I like looking at the ADP so I can see when players are going to fall, if I should draft them now or the next round, but also having your rankings being overlaid on top of that's really sharp. So uh, go check it out. They also do the projections, your column, the the things I learned doing projections, like my favorite column in the entire off season, you guys have blurbs, all that stuff. Draft Sharks is is truly an amazing resource. So go go check it out. And we'll have Jared on the show, uh, let's say in a couple months after enjoying some of this summer to the best of our abilities all right jared thank you so much all of you thank you for tuning in go and check out their channel go and check out their content and uh we'll see you next time up the villa talk to y'all soon see ya <laughs>